Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another day, and we are back for our first 10-10-10 practice of the season as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 191. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I sit down with Ben Fennell and Chris McPherson, just like we've done every day of practice here at training camp, to talk about what we saw on the practice field today, our first 10-10-10. We're going to break that down now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, C-Mac. So as the veteran of the group, I will toss it over to you. Okay. What is a 10-10-10 practice for the listeners at home that don't know what it is? All right, so it's a condensed practice. 90 minutes long. Today the players were in uh, shells and shorts, okay, after yesterday's fully padded live hitting practice. So Eagles scaling back after a very physical workout, two hours and 20 minutes, I think the practice was yesterday. Essentially you're breaking it down into 10 plays for the offense where the defense is given certain looks, 10 plays for the defense where – the offense is giving certain looks for the defense to work on. They're going to cycle through that and then add in 10 minutes of special team sessions along the way. So there are times where the offense is, I don't want to say mess up on purpose, but the defense is going to basically it's going to be geared toward the one side of the ball or the other to win. Yep. So sometimes when you're seeing reporters live tweet 10 10 10 practices, it could be a little dangerous because there there'll be times where it's like, oh, quarterback so and so is having a terrible day, throwing three interceptions. Well, there's a story behind it. It's they're trying to help you know the defense out in a certain way, and it might lead to some more turnovers. So that's pretty much what it is in a nutshell. So you're going ten plays offense, ten plays defense, and then ten minutes of special teams, and you're cycling through for about ninety minutes. And I, I think back to camps in years past, and you think, okay, what what are those kind of specialty sessions, right? If the defense is trying to give the offense a look, if the offense is trying to give a defense a look, the coaches kind of come together and they'll say, you know what? Uh, as an offensive staff, we'd really like to be able to see, uh, you know, some odd fronts with edge pressure, or we'd really like to be able to see, uh, you know, cover two man at, at, for ten snaps today. How are we gonna mess with? Some some different things from a route concept standpoint to beat two man or defensively and say you know what we really want to see a lot of 13 personnel so let's give it give us 10 snaps of 13 I'm just thinking back to over the years of some of the things that we've seen and so that's really what happens in, in those practices and it's three sessions so it's offense defense special teams offense defense special teams offense defense special teams and practice, and that's yes. kind of what we saw today. So uh, after some special teams drills we saw the offense take the field Ben and then the offense was out first we saw a different combination along the offensive line. So Jason Peters was out. Jason Kelsey was out today, given the days off. Uh, what did the Eagles do to shuffle some things up up front? Yeah, some moving parts. So Andre Dillard, who had been with the second team uh, most of camp, obviously got the the start at left tackle in place of Jason Peters. Left guard Isaac Sayomalo kicked over to center to replace Kelsey, and that meant uh, Stefan Wisniewski coming in at left guard. Mm. Um, but Wisniewski, Sayomalo, those are guys that have been with the team, with the line for a couple of years now. So... It's kind of business as usual, and they have a skill set that kind of fits what the Eagles like to do, both athletic guys, both guys that can excel in the run game. 
you know, uh, between the tackles or getting out on the perimeter, the screen game. So it was kind of business as usual for those two guys. I think the expectations when Wiz or Sayamalo or some of these backups come in, they're experienced players and they have to operate, you know, like they've been there. It's a little surprising. I wouldn't say surprising, but Sayamalo's been fixated at left guard all through the spring and the summer. So it was interesting to see him get some of those reps, I guess maybe just to keep him fresh, you know, if he's called upon to play that role in a pitch. Because in his first – the other day on the podcast, I thought it was just his third season. It's actually he's actually going to his fourth season. Yeah, hey, he was the second draft. He was the pick behind with Carson. Exactly. Yep. So it tells you how quickly time has flown yep. by. But he's played – Every position along the line except for left tackle, if I'm correct in his career. Well, actually, his point. rookie year, he played every position but center, which but center, was the interesting yes. aspect because a lot of people pegged him to be Kelsey's kind of replacement down the road. So he played left tackle, left guard, right That's guard, what, right tackle. I knew there was one position but he had But didn't played, play center, so. but yet that was a position that he was projected to, to yep. fill in. And then Kelsey's obviously really had a resurgence over the past couple of years with Doug Peterson's offense. And, uh, you know, Isaac Salamalo's versatility – We've seen it needed at times, whether yep. that's coming in at tackle, guard, backup center. So I think just him plugging it where it leaks on the offensive line looks like he'll be the starting left guard. But having his versatility across the board, whether at tackle or center, that's an asset for any group. But for him, I think it's peace of mind because he got his contract extension this offseason. Like I said, he's been pretty much cemented as a left yep. guard, starting mm-hmm. left guard all through camp. There's no competition this year. And for him, it allows him just to focus on football. Okay, You're not thinking about, if I have to play right guard, what's my assignment? If I'm at right tackle, how do things change? If I know I'm going to be in this spot, I can master that spot. And it's great that he has the versatility if needed because we've seen that over the years and that, you know, depth will be needed at some point during the course of the season. But in a perfect world, you would love for him to master that left guard spot and be able to work with Jason Peters where he's developing great chemistry. Andre Dillard, if Dillard has to go in there, and, and with Jason Kelsey as well. Sam Miles said, look, I'm playing on a line where I have a Hall of Famer to my left in Peters and three All-Pros down the line. I need to raise my level of play. Mm. I need to raise the standard here in 2019, and he's looking forward to the challenge. Yeah, I thought uh, same. I'll you know that doesn't it doesn't surprise me. I wonder if that's kind of the way that they look at it as a staff too. Is if there were if you miss Jason Kelsey for an extended period of time, you know you've got say Amalo. If it's going to be a, a series or something, you know if it's a, a short term thing, Wiz you know has the ability Correct. to step in and play some center. Uh, also of note, I was not like we were watching him every single snap or anything, but Andre Dillard continues to look pretty good the last couple days. I think he's really – we had the day off Sunday. Coming back Monday, since then, he's really seemed to have turned the corner a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you have a chance to read Dave Spadaro's on the inside column, but he caught up with Dillard after yesterday's long practice. Okay. And, you know, Dillard said he's been pleased with the incremental improvements he's making day in and day out. And it seems like if you talk to any of the people who have watched practice every day, they're just so impressed with the way he moves, that he glides. No question. You know, it's like the players are not able – to get past him because of his athleticism. So the question, and I think this was the thing when he was drafted, and it's largely because of the offense that he played in, was how will he handle run blocking? How will he handle bull rushes and things of that nature? Because, you know, you guys document so well uh, on that amazing episode of the Journey to Draft podcast where you took listeners from the beginning of the college season mm-hmm. all the way to when he was drafted. And every other week, Dillard's name kept coming up because Ben had a chance to see him a couple times live and in person. So uh, it should come as no surprise that when you have the physical talent that Dillard has, when you have players like Lane Johnson and Jason Pierce, who both have been very impressed by him to this point, and then an outstanding coach like Jeff Statland, you know, it goes back to setting that standard. They're going to bring the best out of him, and it seems like so far 
obviously he hasn't played any game yet, but yep. so far he's up to the challenge. You know, the interesting thing with Dillard is I feel like once or twice a practice, he just has a rookie mistake, and most of them are mental mistakes. And I feel like those are the mistakes I would want a rookie to make yeah. because he rarely has the physical mistakes. He's rarely actually getting beat at the point of attack or getting beat in pass protection. Coming from Washington State, which is kind of an exotic, very focused playbook, the Eagles playbook and their run schemes are a little more exotic, a little bit different. So sometimes he might miss a blocking assignment or you kind of see some frustration after the play that he was just a little bit confused on the snap count or what his actual assignment was or the adjustment. So it seems like there's a couple mental mistakes, and you're going to get that from rookie offensive linemen where the playbook's much deeper, much more diverse, much more complex, and more variety of concepts. But the second he knows what he's doing, he looks the part, and I think that's what you want out of a rookie. So the what we saw from that first period on offense was the first couple snaps. We don't typically see this, but the first team defense was actually on the field. So the starters getting some work against the starters uh, in this kind of a look period. And I thought Brandon Graham, I was focused on the trenches, and I thought Brandon Graham really had a couple of really good snaps to start the period against Lane Johnson. I thought that was good to see uh, BG kind of collapse in the pocket a little bit. You know, just to talk about the trickle effect of the offensive line, there were some other movements as well. We saw Matt Pryor, who had traditionally been the backup right guard, mm. playing some left tackle yep. behind Andre Dillard, a position that we haven't seen a whole lot this camp, but he was someone at TCU that had guard tackle yep. experience. Another guy in the Eagles offensive line that not really sure where he fits, but just having that versatility to play the left side, the right side, inside, outside, I mean, that's just a great asset for any old line room. Uh, a couple of things I noticed, uh, a lot of the three safety looks today, mm-hmm. you know, Malcolm Jenkins, Andrew Sandejo, Trey Sullivan, yep. you know, working as that third safety. And you're obviously Rodney McLeod still coming back from the injuries, doing, you know, individuals. And if they have a seven-on-seven period, he did that. Yesterday's practice did the wide receiver DB one-on-ones yesterday. None of that today. Uh, but it's interesting to see Sullivan's development because he's someone who came in as a rookie free agent, did the practice squad routine, you know, fought his way onto the roster, and has gotten playing time on defense. And Malcolm told me after practice, the thing with Sullivan is he's at the point where he's in the right place on defense, okay? Mentally, he's there. He's got to now make plays on the ball, mm-hmm. okay? It's great to be in the right place, but you got to start turning those into some interceptions and you know some game-changing type plays. Yeah, that's, that's the next step. It's for funny evaluating these players. I was just talking about a player that had some mental mistakes but has all the physical tools. You're talking about a guy that you know has the mental side down but just needs to make the plays. Mm-hmm. So every player kind of takes on a different personality and a different developmental arc throughout camp and figuring out what they need to improve on. So one guy who seems to kind of put it all together and just you're talking about making plays on the ball, like a guy who makes plays on the ball every day in practice, Razul Douglas. He had, yep. he had another big one today, mm-hmm. uh, a pass breakup against the tight end, Will Tide down the seam. Um, you, you that's, really Sullivan, see, that's Sullivan actually that's Sullivan picked it yeah. off. Picked yeah, off. exactly. But he, so he tipped it up in the air and Sullivan picks it off. Um, Razul just, just keeps showing up, which is it's great to see a young guy, former third-round pick, continue to get incrementally better year after year. You know, I I love paying attention to the different personnel groupings, the nickel, the big nickel, the dime. And I think it was you, Fran, we were joking the other day. What do we call Avante Maddox now? Yeah. He's a guy that was a corner at Pittsburgh, kind of suited to play nickel, stepped in at safety last year. Not really sure whether to call him a safety in the big, you know, the big nickel package or is he a regular defensive back? Even guys like Malcolm Jenkins, corner at Ohio State, came in safety in the NFL. These are guys that have been all around kind of defenses kind of confused on what to call them. They're defensive backs. Right. Yeah. But as far as saying, you know, big nickel, small nickel, who are they? 
they're just versatile players. Mm -hmm. And I think this Eagles team, we keep talking about versatility, guys that can do multiple things. I think those are the players you want to build a championship roster. Jenkins said that last year's nightmare of having to go through all the defensive backs because of injuries, or I think we said 10 cornerbacks throughout the course of the year. You know, he lost his tag team partner in mm -hmm. Rodney McLeod, so that spot was rotating all throughout the course of the year. Well, that last year's nightmare is this year's dream. Right. Because you look at the depth and the talent that's on the field now and all that playing experience that was gained by last season, and yet, Malcolm points out, Rodney's not 100% back mm -hmm. yet. Jalen Mills is still not practicing yet. Ronald Darby's not fully back yet. Like you're still adding starting caliber players to this defense, and it's already looking pretty good out there on the field. You talked with Malcolm for a while after practice, right? Yeah. So the big thing that, that caught my eye, two things. One is that as they were going through the extensive special teams periods, is that Malcolm Jenkins, it was a kickoff, love kickoff drill work today, that he's insisting on being a part of that third unit. And the big thing I just asked, I said, look, you're going into your 11th season. You're the Ironman who played every snap on defense last season. Don't you at any point want to ease up on yourself? And he goes, no, that's not above me. Okay, I'm trying to uphold a standard. I'm trying to showcase to the young guys how the game is played. We're lucky to be out here. I'm grateful to be out here each and every day. You know, I, I want to be out there on the field because you never know which play is going to make the difference in the game. That being said, Coach Pearson and Coach Phipp have been like, Malcolm, we might need to scale back a <laughs> little right. this year, okay? But Malcolm is like, there are certain packages, you know, certain groupings I want to be in on, even if it's not every single time. Rotate me in there at the very least. And the other thing that I pick up, and he's been doing this for years. I don't know why today was the day that I noticed it, but at the beginning of, of every time they change sessions or change drills, he's like the first person on the field for the defense. He sprints to the ball. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that you just can't – you can't help a nose because, you know, everyone is, you know, maybe jogging to get into place, but Zoom, after yesterday's really hot, really intense practice, he's still bringing the energy. And he said, I've been doing this. I picked it up in New Orleans. I've been doing it ever since I got here. I was hoping some other guys might pick it up. He said, Brandon Graham, BG's the, the one person who will do it with them. I can and see I, that. Yep. And I know, as I said, you do beat BG like 95% right. yeah. of the time. <laughs> and, you know, he said, you know, but, there, but he said, there's days where BG picks me up and helps me get things going. So, you know, the, the quote that I actually wanted, to, I was talk, talking about this before the show, he posted on his Instagram, mm. and it says, my secret, master that which requires no talent, preparation, enthusiasm, effort, technique, communication. And, and there's a few other things here, but he was just going on that, you know, those are the little things that separates the good from the great players, the mm. guys who our practice squad players, backups, and guys who start and consistently make teams. Like, everybody here is talented. And he said that from the time he was at Ohio State, he had physical talent, but he said he wasn't the most athletically gifted player. He said, what are the little things that I can do to get myself to that next level? How many times have we talked about that on Journey to the Draft? Like, yeah, ad know, nauseum at yeah, this point. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, to me, like that's the stuff that separates guys. Uh, and speaking of the Journey to the Draft, yesterday uh, we caught up with Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network draft analyst. He was in the building. So uh, DJ joined us on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We talked about what he saw here at practice, uh, some players that he's watched, what he's doing from a summer scouting standpoint, and then also caught up with Tony Pauline, breaking down all the top prospects in the ACC, including the defending champion Clemson Tigers. Um, the other, a couple other guys on defense, real quick, before we shift back over to offense. Okay. Uh, two guys that stood out. 
Uh, Josh Sweat made a couple of nice plays again today. Not, not, he's not. It's not like he's dominant. It's not like he's like bull rushing everybody and just. But like always around the ball, plays in pursuit. You know, run game. He's the first guy to kind of thump up. Uh, just constantly around the football, which you like to see. And then uh, Josh Hawkins had a couple of really nice pass breakups today. He had one in the first session for uh, against Dallas Goddard in the end zone, and then he had another one against JJ Arcega Whiteside in the final team uh, on the final offensive period. So are they the one backup defensive back uh, made some plays today? What I love with Josh Sweat is man, you're seeing him out there on those special teams units as well. Yep. Playing with yeah, enthusiasm, true. energy. And Vinny Curry. Watch, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And watch him just run down on kickoff coverage, man. Josh Sweat is every, every yeah, bit right. of six six and lean and long and long strides. Sometimes you're just like, man, can this guy catch? I'd love to put him in the <laughs> offense as well. Uh, but when you can really see him open up the speed and those strides on the special teams unit and just see ball, get ball, and just being a hunter out there, it's impressive. So we've been going for a while. We haven't uh, mentioned anything about Carson Wentz so far in the episode. Uh, to me, the two two throws stood out, and they were both from the second uh, offensive session. Um, first, he that was the first play of the period just smoked to throw over the middle of the field to Alshon Jeffrey. Yep. It was a great catch as well uh, in traffic. A really, really impressive throw. And then he had one, I think it was two or three plays later. It was either play three or play four of the period. Um, beautiful touch pass left sideline on a like a, a slot fade or a wheel route, something like that uh, to Nelson Aguilar. Uh, did fall incomplete, but he put it right in the bread bat. I mean, it was perfect. And those, It kind of, uh, that's going to go in the practice notes, but like, when I think of all the throw, the best, the big throws that Carson's made so far this summer, those are the kind of throws that I th- feel like he's really thrived with. Is like those, uh, the driving over the middle of the field in traffic, underneath the the safety, over top of the underneath defender, and then also those touch throws. I mean, you think about the wheel route he threw to Miles Sanders yesterday. He's had a few of those where you know just those touch throws down the sideline, whether it's deep or intermediate, uh, he's hit on a number of them. So I far. feel like those throws over the middle of the field between the numbers are what really has separated Carson Wentz into kind of being that upper echelon elite quarterback in the NFL first game no question against Cleveland we saw the high low coverage there Jordan Matthews and we just saw his ability we see every week with the seam throws to the tight ends the crossing routes the daggers the things like that just working the middle of the field and he's just getting that much more savvy with manipulating defenders moving his eyes resetting his feet his location on throws against man and zone coverage just really impressive over the middle of the field, which is mm. traditionally some of the more crowded, you know, convolute, convoluted areas of the defense to kind of uh, dissect. The biggest challenge for Carson is going to be just distributing the ball. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, really, yeah. at the end of the day, because you just look at all the weapons the Eagles have and all the packages that they can play. I mean, they can be a very good 11 team. They could be a 12 personnel team. Obviously, we've debated that and talked about that, mm-hmm. I feel like, all off season. But at the end of the day, when you go out there with your teammates – all right, who's going to be the guy that gets the ball? It's going to be up to Carson to make sure that he distributes the ball. And I think you made the great point, Ben, about the manipulation throws he's been much better at. But, you know, when you just have mismatched weapons, you know, over the middle of the field with guys like Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, and you could factor in Alshon Jeffrey into that as well. And then, you know, the development of the touch throw, I feel like that he seemed like he was focusing on that, especially with Nelson today, mm-hmm. uh, more than anything else. Because that's probably the one area in terms of a throwing where he can improve. And we're talking about, you know, working Carson, take the next step, how could he be better? That's probably the one area. We've seen some good deep throws over the years, but you seem like you want to see better touch throws d- mm-hmm. deep down the field. And especially with the weapons that they have, they'll be better suited to be able to execute those types of plays now. You know, I kind of feel like I wish fans would get out of the mindset of statistical thresholds and being excited for a thousand yard rusher or a thousand yard receiver. When you have offenses that are so well designed and yep. well distributed like the Eagles are and like, you know, Frank Wright's brought to the Colts and Andy in Kansas City, 
I feel like fans get so enamored after the season and looking at the numbers and how many catches. But if the collective offense is clicking and moving the ball and putting up points each week, it shouldn't matter. And just like our Super Bowl season where some weeks it was a Trey Burton week and some weeks was a Aguilar week and then some weeks we threw to the backside of the backfield. As long as the offense is moving and clicking, I don't think the numbers yeah. at the end of the day really matter. Yeah, and that's we made we had this discussion numerous times last year when, you know, Zach Ertz is breaking record after record. To me, like I don't look at it as like, oh man, like you know, they're just it's too it's too tight end centric. Like Go to who's open. Go with what's mm-hmm. working. And to me, that's kind of the way I, I've always. Looked. It's easy for us to say we're we're not the ones that have to manage those personalities. That's on you know the coaching. And you get staff excited. You know, you yeah. see Deshaun Jackson. You want to kind of predict and what's he going to do and my fantasy team and all. Is it a thousand yard receiver and ten touchdowns? And you know what? He may have two or three weeks in a row where it's quiet. That's just the nature of our offense. Right. The way it's distributed, the way it's designed, they're never going to allow one player to dominate the volume because that means opposing defenses are going to dominate their attention on him. And if you keep spreading it around, it makes it very, very tough to defend. Uh, that being said, the tight ends were active today. They did have a couple <laughs> touchdowns. Um, you saw the one for, to Zach Ertz. I know you were in like the back of the end zone, uh, and you were actually focused on exactly where the ball would take us through that player. It was in yeah, the third session. Kind of a, uh, a common concept we see from the Eagles, these little kind of uh, double moves down the seams from yep. the tight ends here. And Ertz absolutely shook Trey Elston right out of his shoe. Like literally. Literally. <laughs> shoe fell off uh, in the route, kind of sold it to the outside, broke it back to the seam, perfectly thrown ball. Um, I think the tight end on the other side was also open. Mm. Two concepts you see pretty often down in the red zone there, and it was a very impressive route. Now, Ertz isn't a guy that you know does anything super fast, very twitchy, very manipulative in his routes, mm. and his route stems, knows how to set up defenders, very, very crafty. I hate to go right to the Jason Witten comp of a uh, Zach Ertz, but it's very similar in just being a crafty route runner, not necessarily being the most imposing physically or the fastest, but just being very deliberate in his movements. And that route right there, you just saw it. You wrote that piece last year in uh, Jason Witten's previous life as a Monday Night Football. In yes, the yes, indeed. Uh, the biggest thing going to tight ends here that I noticed today was Rich Rogers hmm. had a couple nice plays in practice today, and you just realized that most teams would be very happy to have Richard Rogers as a number two. Yeah. Uh, tight yep. end, you know, it's a, even at that position, and you obviously want that position to be extra deep because of the fact that if you're going to be a 12 centric offense, like look, if something were to happen to either Ertz or Goddard, yep. you need that next man to step in there. And it's good that I know that we're not really talking about Richard Rodgers, but you know, he had a nice camp start to camp last season, got injured in the first preseason game, I believe it was against uh, the Patriots, and then missed the rest of the year with a knee injury. You know, he's coming back, and he's just been that solid, steady number three guy. He's been the veteran presence for you know Ertz and Gart to bounce ideas off of, but nonetheless, a, a reliable player if he had to go into. And and if you go in thirteen personnel, that gives you a nice you option there. He has this kind of like Brent Selleck type of professionalism to him. Yes, you know, he's not wowing you with anything, but just coming out there and doing his work, whether it's pass pro or run game, yep. and catching the underneath balls. Occasionally, he'll sneak them down the field. Just seems to always do his job, and that was Brent Selleck. And maybe wasn't getting his name called, but that type of position. If you don't hear from him, it's usually a good thing because he's doing his responsibilities. A lot of it's the dirty work mm. that doesn't get a lot of the attention. Mm. So just a pro that you just want on your team, on your roster. Uh, one guy on offense in the, with the backups on the look team that I thought made some plays today, Wendell Smallwood had a couple, uh, yeah. you know, a nice run. He had a couple nice catches where he pulled away from linebackers in the middle field. I thought that was uh, good to see. Well, Wendell Smallwood, you know, 
he he does a little bit of everything for you yep. on offensive offensively. You know, he can run the ball in between the tackles. And special teams as well. Good special teams can catch the ball out of the backfield. You know, he's not going to be as flashy as a Miles Sand- or as a Miles Sanders. He's not going to be as a big as a as a Jordan Howard. He's not going to be you know as great as a receiver or in pass protection as Darren Sproles, but. You know, when you're looking at what do I need in that like fourth running back, yep. he's a guy who can do a little bit of everything, and if you need him to play offense, he can. Yeah, I think now that, that running that running back room is getting pretty crowded too. It's very yeah. crowded. And I'm That's sure he's day. not happy about being with the threes and the fours, but the players he's going against, those rookie linebackers, they're going hard. He's beating yeah. who he should beat, yep. and you realize he's a fourth year player and has some versatility in the pass game and. He's probably got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder going against some of these rookies, but he looks the part. He should be beating those guys like he did today. Yep. Uh, go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say, there are going to be some guys who I think are going to put nice numbers in the preseason. Right, yeah. sure. Because you're very deep at certain positions that I'm just thinking to myself, like, like Smallwood comes to mind. It's like, yeah. if he's, like, you know, one of the leading rushers in the preseason, I'm not going to be surprised. These are good problems to have, you know, being they, deep they at certain positions and maybe having a little bit of a, you know, too many riches at certain spots. We're not going to be able to keep them all, you yeah. know, so we wish them the best wherever they end up and they're going to, you know, play in the preseason and get some looks around the league. But these are good problems to have. And when you have success, this typically is what happens. Your coaching staff gets kind of picked apart and your roster gets picked apart and just part, part of the battle of uh, being a successful team. All right, so uh, before we wrap things up, any other closing thoughts as we uh, part ways here? Uh, I, I thought the dragonflies on the practice field were very dominant today. They've been a consistent yeah, force. Yeah. Consistent force, about a dozen just uh, yeah. hanging around. But uh, You've got the, the the pond across the street at FDR Park, and so they, they fought they through the heat, though. Over. They were battling yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, a couple minor things. Uh, a lot for the look team on offense – Showing the defense also a lot of pre-snap motion, uh, wide receiver end arounds. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to see, you know, a maybe who can handle it from the offensive side, but you know, B showing how the defense how to adjust to that. That was something that I thought was pretty consistent. And, and I thought uh, Corey Unlin was uh, extra feisty hmm. out there today at practice. It's one of my favorite coaches. To yeah, watch, no question. Uh, you know, yelling to get guys in position. Uh, then there was during the red zone drill. Uh, what was thought to be a touchdown pass to Mark and Michelle in the back of the end zone, and he played the role of referee, be like <laughs> you know, waving his arms, didn't get the second foot in bounds, be like very animated, being like, nope, did not, did not score. When we touchdown. were watching the period, I turned to Ben and I was like, I, I can't wait for our first red zone one on one session mm-hmm. because Corey is typically very uh, uh, passionate during those segments as well. Yeah, that's really about it. You know, we're kind of getting to the dog days of summer yep. here where we're getting a little tired facing our own guys. We'd like to have those preseason games to start to prep for. That'll be the big question next week. How excited are you to right. face off? And then even working in, a, working in another team, you know, practicing here in a yep. couple weeks just that's to get right. some new faces and some new competitions. But this is kind of, uh, you know, the thick of the summer here, and uh, it's going to be August tomorrow. It's kind of crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. The, only, the only thing I'll add is that I thought it was a pretty sharp, lively practice from the team considering what they went through yesterday. Right. I think you want to see how does a team bounce back after a day like that or they can be very sluggish and I thought the energy, the tempo, all that stuff was very good and that's mm. something that's obviously that's when you a have point. a deep team but it's something that's encouraging to see uh, coming off what was a very physical a very grueling, hot, hot yeah. just a Three hot, hot days in a row, too. Probably yeah. the tougher stretch they'll have this summer. And just oh, getting easily. their bodies acclimated with the heat, first hitting days as well. So 
a lot of things to kind of juggle in there. So it looks like it would probably be more of a full practice tomorrow because yes. the team is off on Friday. So we'll have another podcast tomorrow, off Friday, back for Saturday, and then you've got the lot, the open practice at the link uh, on Sunday night. So uh, until then, until tomorrow, we will see you next time here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade.